The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly... Do you feel that you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt, PharmD. And welcome to our show today. We have two special guests joining us. We have Rosemary and Mark Whitman. And Rosemary and Mark run a CSA. And are people familiar with what that is? That's Community Supported Agriculture. And they're right here in Minnesota. They're in Wilmer. And they'll, they'll be sharing their insights and experiences as organic vegetable growers. And we'd love to have you join our conversation. Call, now get your pencil out, call one 866 472-5792. And call with questions for Rosemary and Mark. Ask them about CSAs, about growing organically, or maybe you have questions about growing in your own garden. And again, that number is one 866 472 5792 Our sponsor of our show today is a major difference. A major difference makes the Ion Cleanse machine for detoxification. And me and my husband, David, we've been using the Ion Cleanse for over 10 years. And I actually did one just this morning while I was doing some studying. And we have one in the studio for our clients to use, but we really, really encourage people to get their own at home so that you can have a convenient and high-quality detoxification method, and then you don't have to travel or pay extra time every time that you use it. And the other thing about this company is that they have a new book that was written by Dr. Bob Maroney, who is the founder of the company. And the book's name is called Total Body Detoxification. And I got the book a while ago and read it, and I find it extremely well done. And I highly recommend it for anybody who's seeking to have better health. And something I really like about the book is it gives the story of Dr. Maroney. And he was diagnosed with terminal cancer and given only a short time to live. And at the same time, he had trouble with drug and alcohol overuse. And for me, just reading his story was very inspiring. And it shows people, I think, that it's really never too late to change your life and to improve your health. And he used numerous detoxification strategies in his quest for healing. And so the book is not only about the ion cleanse. It's actually about all kinds of different issues with detoxification and easy to read and understand. And you can find it on their website. And their website is called amajordifference.com. Now, you can also call that company and talk to Neil 
who is Dr. Maroney's son. And Neil is the owner of the business now. And he's able to talk to anybody and ask, answer any questions about how the machine works and any other questions. And I've had a few conversations with him and find him just a wealth of information. So let's, let's move ahead here and learn a little bit about Rosemary and Mark and who they are. And I'm just going to give you a short introduction and then, um, and then we'll have them on the show and you'll just be so excited to hear them. Um, both Rosemary and Mark have long histories in the area of growing plants. And Rosemary is actually a graduate of the Burnley School of Horticulture in Melbourne, Australia. And in 1976, she came to Minnesota as a student through an exchange program through the University of Minnesota. Now, I, I was actually, I was in this picture here. I was 15 years old at the time, and Rosemary came to live with my family, and that's how I met her. And my father, Len Bush, had a thriving business growing roses in acres of greenhouses in Plymouth, Minnesota. And in fact... My father, just a little bit more history for you, we, so we get a little bit of background, and then we can just pounce right into the present here. But in fact, my father's growing history started in the late 1800s when my great-grandfather and his wife, they were Fred and Lena Bush, they emigrated from Germany and started the first greenhouse right here on Lindale in South Minneapolis. And then Fred actually went back to Germany and talked to one of his uh, cousins, a Bachman cousin, to move to Minneapolis and helped this Bachman cousin and the other Bachman brothers, too, to set up a growing operation. And so right here, um, just to let people know, because I know not everybody knows South Minneapolis, but right across the street from, from us on Lindale here is the, Bach, the Bachman's original um, store and greenhouse where they started yeah, right across from the studio yeah exactly and so we just kind of have this history that circles around and even though over here we have a couple plants in the studio we certainly wouldn't consider ourselves growers at all <laughs> you know, we do our best just to keep them growing and alive and without too many bugs and things happening <laughs> but um, the bushes of my grandfather's era then eventually started greenhouses in Golden Valley and they switched from growing vegetables to growing flowers of all, all different kinds of flowers and then in 1964 my father and mother and five kids at the time moved from Golden Valley to Plymouth where Len, my father started with a set of four greenhouses growing mums and pom-poms <clears throat> and each summer it was kind of um, a big deal because every time summer would hit, he was building again another set of greenhouses. And um, not only that, my mom was having more babies until she ended up with seven children and all of this um, building of greenhouses that was happening every summer until those greenhouses were covering a number of acres. And then in 1975, he transitioned to all roses and innovated by switching from oil and gas uh, for heat in those greenhouses to wood burning. So if you can imagine, some of you might know, a few of you might remember back in the 70s, that was the peak of the energy crisis and fuel costs were very high. And I remember back then, him. I was in high school or junior high at the time and he was talking, he was always grumbling about his bills, you know, like most people do. And he was talking about how his monthly heating bill was $25,000 back in the 70s and so he transitioned to all wood burning and was able to do much better business with lower heating costs and today my brother runs the business and they use a combination of wood natural gas and oil to run the operation but the point here through all this is that 
we're back to Rosemary again. Rosemary was living with our family <clears throat> and learning all about running a rose growing operation at that time. And then we bring Mark into the picture, him. Mark at the time was a, a student at the University of Minnesota. And of course, people of those ages are going to parties and they have loads of friends. And so Mark and Rosemary met through friends of friends. And then they were married, they had three children, and they have been growers ever since. And in fact, Mark came to work at my father's business as a head grower for the company. And we came to know them as Mark and Roe, you know, really part of our family. And both of them are very, very talented people, very hardworking, honest people with high integrity. And Rosemary worked growing these long stem cut roses for 15 years. And then she ran her own gardening business for about another 12 years. And she is an absolute expert at plants and loves working with and taking care of them. And as she says it in her words, gardening has been her life's blood. And now Mark, he's a graduate of the University of Minnesota with a bachelor's in agriculture education and forestry science. And he's been the head grower not only at Lenbush Roses, but two more cut flower operations, each having over 15 acres of greenhouses. So that's, that's not necessarily a little tiny operation. Mark has worked with nutrition and he's worked with pest management in all of these greenhouses and has learned the strengths and the weaknesses of chemical and biological methods that are used in growing. And he's grown crops both in soil but also in hydroponic systems. And in the hydroponic systems, he's used rock wool, scoria, sand, and the southern word, cor, <laughs> as growing meat. And he's going to talk all about those things. I'm, I'm actually not familiar with any of those words except for sand. And so we'll get into that in just a moment. Now, Mark and Rosemary started a new venture last year in offering a CSA, or Community Supported Agriculture, to their community in Wilmer, Minnesota. And their CSA is called Under the Cottonwood. And Mark and Rosemary grow with a respect for the whole earth, using our natural resources of land, air, water, mind, and body to grow healthy, nourishing, and tasty vegetables. And if you've been with us on the radio show for, for quite a while since we've just started in September, you know this is really what we go for, and that's why we're so excited to have Mark and Rosemary with us. And they say that it's important for us to grow in a manner that nourishes the ground that we are caretakers of. And they avoid harsh chemicals, and they prefer to use hard work and more natural ways to control pests and diseases. And that's the healthy way for them, as the workers, and for anybody who chooses to come and share in the journey with them. Now, their farm is not officially certified as organic, but they're committed to providing farm-grown, healthy, chemical-free produce at a fair price to their shareholders. And Rosemary and Mark say that they enjoy learning and that they're going to be trying new crops and methods of growing. And they, they like to look to improve the quality and value. And I think that's what Mark has really spent his life really um, fine-tuning of growing plants with exceptional quality and value for people. So Rosemary and Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. And we're so lucky to have you on the show. I'm going to start by asking you, do you remember anything from those days in the 70s and 80s, newly together in Minnesota? 
<laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Do you have memories of back then? Oh, yeah. Back, back um, when we first got married, the, the first three years were really rather exciting in, in getting to know each other. And actually, um, I had just... Gra- we had rather a, a number of things that happened to us all at one time that they say are stressful in life. I graduated from University of Minnesota. I started a new job teaching agri- uh, agriculture in Appleton, Minnesota, and we got married all in the same month. Wow, uh, in one month. So not even in one year, it was in one wow. month. <laughs> yep. We, when we got married, we, we took a weekend off and, and went up to northern Minnesota. And then the next week, we, um, we moved and I started, started work um, in Appleton, Minnesota. So it, it was quite a, um, a very quick start. Everything uh-huh. happened all at once. Uh, but it, it, life together has been just enjoyable, I think, all the way through. Um, I was very lucky. I mean, com- coming to having come to work with Len Bush Roses um, was extraordinary in a way. Because Lenny was very open with letting people try things and look at things. Uh, one time, I remember he said to me, one of the best uh, advantages I had coming into the operation was actually that I had never worked in a greenhouse before. So there are many things that we tried and did that a lot of other people didn't know that you could just because you tried. Oh, that's uh, very interesting. Do you remember what any of those things were? Ah. Uh, no, I don't actually. <laughs> uh-huh. But but you tried things, and I, I I'm I'm sure you probably tried some things, and then they worked really well, and other things probably didn't work too well. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 the way life goes. There is no guarantee that something works, but oftentimes when you try something the first time, there's something that doesn't quite work the way you want, and so then the object is to then so how do you make it? If it's going to be an advantage, how do you make it work? Um, yeah, so, so it, it, the first trial or just doing something is only the beginning of, of getting to where you want to go with it. No, I think that's a really good point. On the show, normally we're talking about what people are eating and what they're doing for their diets and things. And we talk a lot about that perfection isn't really what it's about and that maybe you're trying to improve your life or change your diet or take on a new lifestyle habit and then something happens, like you get sick or something happens where you kind of fall off and that you, instead of seeing that as a big failure, you just see, well, you know what, I guess I can just get right back on and just learn from that and maybe I can prevent that from happening next time by choosing a different way and learning from that. And it sounds like when you started at um, Len Bush Roses, maybe you were doing a lot of that trial and then if something doesn't work, you go, well, I actually learned from from that because now I'm not going to do that again. Let's tweak it a little bit. And then that's probably actually how you got to be the good uh, grower that you are today, would you think? Yeah, I'm not so sure I would say I'm, I'm a good grower. I'm, I'm interested in learning things. I'm interested in trying oh, Now, things. don't be shy. <laughs> <laughs> right now, everyone needs to know that Rosemary and Mark are very humble people. And they actually are outstanding growers. <laughs> yeah, but uh-huh. it, um, there was a guy we worked with for a while, it, it, and he, he said something about the journey in life, and that is we're all in the same position. It doesn't matter 
if, if in learning to grow, some people have a lot more experience, some people have a lot less. But essentially, we're all in the same place because our biggest job is simply to become better. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm experienced, but my job is much the same. And I can learn from, from almost anyone bits and pieces that help me to get to another spot where, yes, that works a little better or that's a, this, this helps with this particular issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, um, yeah, to, to say we're good or bad or anything like that, I think, it, or not good or bad, but different levels, um, it's really the, the object of trying to become better. Mm-hmm. And then, Rosemary, what do you remember from those early times? I remember living with your family. Uh-huh. And that was I, fun, wasn't it? Oh, yes, of course it was. There was always something <laughs> happening with this many kids in the family. I, you know, coming from a family where my mom and my dad and everybody were each one of two kids, the idea of more than two kids in a family was quite exciting. <laughs> so there certainly were a lot of those, huh? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yes, and I'd grown up in the city. So to live out in the country was quite a change and did take a bit of adjusting because I was used to being able to get places and do things. So the slower pace of and more self-sufficiency of living on a farm site, it just took a bit of adjusting and a bit of learning how you handle it and what you do. Uh-huh. So what is it now living out on a farm site? How, oh, do you it's, like it? Yes, I do. But when you know when you're 21 and you're used to living in a city, it is quite an adjustment. Mm-hmm. So you know, and and perhaps what you want to do. And so now you know, I think living on a farm site is quite good. Mm-hmm. And we're close to a town, so it's not that far if we have to do something. Um, but it's quiet. It's peaceful. You can sit here and look out across the fields, and yeah, it's very nice. The first, the first year we were here, there was corn all the way around us. And when it was fully grown, it was like living in a valley. We couldn't see another farm place around. And our driveway is about 800 feet long. So it's reasonably long and we're quite a ways off the road. Um, so it was, yeah, it was interesting. So is there still corn all the way around you? Uh, last year it was half soybeans because like most farmers, they're... So many farmers are very much interested in keeping the soil going. And uh, almost all the farmers around us mostly use turkey manure as their um, major source of nutrients. And they crop rotate so that you don't get too much of a, a particular insect problem. If you continue to do corn on corn on corn, you deplete many of the nutrients um, and also incur- encourage the uh, corn rootworm and some other insects. Oh. We have corn all around us again this year, though. Yeah, but last year was soybeans. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell us more about this rotating the crops. How, how does keeping just that mono crop or one crop, how does that deplete the soil? Well, you, you, keep, you keep using cert, certain elements. Um, some crops like corn and that are much more intensive use of um, nitrogen. There are other crops like soybeans that actually in bring nitrogen into the soil because they have uh, bacteria in the root nodules that fix nitrogen out of the soil. And so with that, we, um, uh, you rotate to the, to, the soy, to the soybeans to increase that. 
each of the rotations, it's not much small grain anymore, but each of the rotations also then disrupts certain of the insects' problems that build with one to the other. Um, and it used to be alfalfa was used to grow so that you, they have a deep root system that, in, that puts nitrogen into the soil and also leasens the soil up deeper. Um, it's, it's really quite a complicated thing. It doesn't come down to just nutrients or insects. There's many different things that go into it. Oh, like what other things besides nutrients and insects? Um, well, I guess part of it is just what kind of different crops you <laughs> If you're a agriculture or you're um, a dairy farmer, you'll want a certain amount of alfalfa and a certain amount of corn. Um, if you have chickens, you probably want some oats around. Um, you also want some oats or wheat because you need the straw. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mark, let's come back. We'll finish this talk in a moment. It's time to take a break. So remember, everybody, we're taking callers. Call us at one 472 5792 We'll be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Cancer is not something to be taken lightly, but instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the cancer coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy along with Jeannie, Rosemary, and Mark, our two special guests today. Let's continue our talk about what we were talking about right before the break. Yeah, we were just talking about rotating crops and the benefits of um, changing up what you're putting into the soil. 
to keep the soil nice and fertile. And, and Mark, was you were talking about how people in your area really are concerned about the soil and so that they've been rotating between the corn and the soybeans and that there's a lot of different reasons why you would rotate those crops. So not only just the minerals and, and the nutrients in the soil, but also the bacteria and the, the other kinds of organisms that go in the soil. I was just having a question for, for both of you that in back, I'm going to spring back to those days again at Lenbush Roses. Um, now, you were using lots of pesticides and sprays and chemicals. Do you, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and like, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, you know, because now you're growing, growing crops or in an organic method. That was, completely different and so I'm just kind of wondering about your you know your um, learning process through that or you know any thoughts on that uh, a lot of it in, in, in many back then we looked at what worked in an intensive agricultural way um, when you're in an enclosed system that is growing 12 months out of the year you have more problems with specific insects. Spider mite was one in particular, uh, and aphids. And, and uh, back then, of course, we were using chemicals that you just can't use anymore, DDT and, and um, some, some much stronger chemicals. These days, most chemicals that you get um, break down within two or three days in sunlight. So e- even though you'd like not to use them. If you do, they don't stay around so much like some of the older chemicals. Um, but in the intensive systems, it was always an economic issue to it. Um, spider mite, if they got going too badly, pretty soon you didn't cut anything. And so it was a thing, of, it was something to do that way. Um, these days, when we're working in the garden, it's, it's not as a, as a um, intense or as um, concentrated uh, um, ecosystem, and it's quite varied. When we were growing, most of the time we were growing just straight roses, and so you have more of a problem um, with specific insects mm-hmm. in one with another one. So it, it, it's working a balance that way. Um, I learned one thing with um, something like spider mite in controlling them. Uh, they're very difficult to control. Most of the insecticides you use are not, are not very friendly um, to other things or to people. Um, but what you can do is, is what they used to call a m- long time ago, syringing. You spray with water, water under a fair bit of pressure. You have to do it fairly regularly, like every two days, or, and if they're really heavy, like every day. And you can really knock your populations of spider down very quickly using just plain water. So is that in a hose or what? What is that? More in a in a, just a, a spray system where it's under a fair bit of pressure, um, 80, 90 pounds psi, being far enough away, small enough droplets. Spider might like hot and dry, and so you give them warm and wet, and they don't like that nearly as much, and so they don't prosper quite so much. That's that's one of the things we always learn always used to work with, and that was life cycles. Because each insect has a life cycle that varies in length due to temperature and the environment around it, mostly temperature. Uh, and so used to work with some growers in, in Australia, and they would spray spider mite every, say, four or five days. The problem is, is that in the heat of the summer, the uh, spider mite life cycle might be three days. And so one would hatch 
and grow to adult and lay eggs again before their next spray. And so they were, they were in it forever. And so you, you really need to incorporate life cycles and everything around you into your insect control. So you really have to learn a lot about these different bugs. As, as you mentioned, if you don't know their life cycle, then you don't um, behave very intelligently if you're spraying or doing something in the wrong cycle. Yeah, it's, it's the best part of life, and that's, that's learning. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. really, just to find out how do, you, how do you do what you need to do. Now, what about aphids? How, how about those? Do you have those outside, or is that only something that's on inside plants? You have them sometimes, but we'll find that in, in a garden, there's not a great deal of, we don't have a great deal of pressure from aphids. And I think that has to do with the variety of crops. I mean, there's, we have no concentration of one type of crop um, without anything else around it kind of thing. We, we grow quite a few tomatoes. We don't really end up with um, much of any aphids. We had aphids on our I went through there probably every other day, every three days, and, and crushed them on the leaves because they almost only stayed on the very upper portion of the leaves of the plant. And so I would go through there and just brush them with my fingers and, and just keep them down that way. Last year, we had a, a huge invasion of uh, cucumber beetles. And I would go out first thing in the morning when before they were really moving much and go from blossom to blossom, and I would kill hundreds of them just between my fingers each day, <laughs> just hundreds and hundreds. Um, and that just helps to keep the population down so it doesn't become quite so much of an issue. If you, let them, if you just let them go, each one becomes a whole lot more very quickly. Hmm. Oh, very interesting. Hmm. Now, do you have any sort of tips for people that are they're, they're um, maybe not expert gardeners, but they're going to say that somebody who's not really adept at growing vegetables and they're going to just start in growing vegetables? Would there be a couple of tips that you would give them to get started? Yeah, don't be afraid to try something. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it, it always goes back to the thing, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, and when you learn the most is actually when you make a mistake. If everything goes along um, and goes along well, you don't learn a great deal. And if, if something goes different the next year, it goes wrong, then you, that's when you start to learn and actually become better at it. But there's a lot of information that's quite easy and free. Um, seed packs tell you an awful lot about when to plant. Um, there's a lot of information on the Internet. Uh, and don't be afraid to, to, when talking to somebody, say that I don't know this or I don't know that, uh, because you'll find so many people out there very, very interested in, in sharing their information. They're, um, they're passionate about A lot of people are passionate about it, that they're just doing it. And if you ask them, they'll tell you almost anything. They'll go through and, and help. They'll come by and, and take a look at what you're doing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people out there very willing to put put a time and effort into helping. Mm-hmm. My tip would be soil. Do the best you can for the soil. If you can dig in compost, aerate it, just start with the, as much as you can. If you're going to use potting mix, buy the best potting mix you can find. Don't, don't skimp because if you're skimping perhaps a few dollars a bag on potting mix, it's going to make so much difference in your yield. 
and watch the fertilizer and, and of course, in the middle of summer, water amounts. Mm -hmm. So what if somebody had just this little backyard area and they thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to, it's a little sunny area and I'm going to put in some vegetables and then there's grass on it right now. So they go, I'm going to just make this little rectangle garden. And so what would you tell them to do with the soil? Like um, you said, compost, do you go and buy the compost? Or how do you recommend going, okay, you have grass on your little lawn now, and then you're going to put this little square of a garden. What would you do? You've got two options. One, you could dig it up and either remove the grass or poison it or something. Um, the other option is is to build sides on a bed, decide your bed size, and just leave the grass where it is unless it's something like quack, which will come through everything. Um, but if it's just regular grass grass, um, you could just then start filling it with decomposing leaves, um, even some shredded newspaper, and then if you uh, don't have any extra soil anywhere, put get some good potting mix or garden soil from a garden centre and fill up your raised bed and then plant into that. Oh. Now, how, how, high, how high is that? Like a foot or 12 inches or how, how high? That would be a good height to start with. Um, sometimes people make them higher because they have trouble bending over. Mm -hmm. But um, something like a foot or so would be good. Yeah. A, a size that you can... If you kneel kind of on the edge of it, you can meet, reach to the middle. Mm -hmm. So it's not too big, big uh, across. So, so if someone was going to start growing vegetables in this way and they've never grown anything before, yeah. what kind of vegetables would be good to start with? What do you like? Yeah, what do you yeah. want to grow? <laughs> so anything. Well, aren't there some that are harder or easier or not? isn't it really like that? Uh, yeah, there are certainly some that are, are harder... But they're the basic things like tomatoes and cucumbers and zucchinis, um, beans. Uh, they're they're all really quite easy to grow and easy to begin with. Um, and if you start working with those, if you like if you like what you're doing or what you're growing, I think you pay more attention to it. And so attention is always. Um, a huge important thing to do, uh, that you're looking out there looking and doing something almost every day. So um, you're saying if you don't like eggplant, then maybe don't grow that. Well, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you but won't I, pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Especially when you're first beginning. And uh, tomatoes is always one that everybody is, is very, they really like them. And so... It's always a nice one to have. The, the difficult time, thing is, is, though, is it takes so long for them to actually uh, get something where you can eat it. You're usually looking, you know, late July, August before you can get something. You spend a long time. So it's always nice something like radishes because radishes you plant, they come up very quickly uh, and, you, and you get some fruit from them quite quickly. Uh, beans are, are relatively quick. Um, yeah, leaf lettuce. Some of the leaf lettuce, spinach, things like that are um, you can get something back quite quickly from. So that's a having a reward is <laughs> most of us are looking for that quite quite soon into there. Mm -hmm. um, things like peas. Peas peas can be hard because as soon as it starts getting hot, they get mildew and they don't do so well. Um, so you get those in early. Those you get something back from quite quickly though too. 
And then do you pretty much need a real sunny spot or are any of these things you'd want in the shade? Uh, most vegetables, all the sun you can get. If okay. you get in the middle of the yard and get all sun, that would be best. Um, and it, the one advantage of the raised bed like that over one if you go right into the ground, if you've got any trees nearby, um, you'll have less problems with the tree actually sucking all the water away from the, the garden bed. Um, so that you'll get more use of the water that you put actually onto the vegetables that way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Now, yeah, rosemary is just men- whispering to me, and it warms up quicker. So early in the spring, you get things start growing a bit quicker when it's up out of the ground. Now, speaking of things growing or um, warming up quick, it's, it's, um, the weather hasn't really been cooperating for you to get started with your vegetables. And um, do you think that now this is over, or do you, th- or do you still have snow where you are? <laughs> we, yeah, we just got nine inches uh, not yesterday, day before. And you uh, still have it? Yeah, we got quite a bit of it still. Okay. Uh, it's probably about half gone. But, I mean, really, one day half of it was gone. The next couple of days we'll have a lot more, but we'll, um, we'll go away. So it, it, but where you can't really count on planting outdoors until you're, you know, like in May, second week of May, because it's quite common to have a frost here. Um, early in May. Okay. So we're, we're, we're actually looking very quickly at putting up some structures that we can put some plastic over it and enclose an area so that we can get some stuff in there quicker. It extends the early season and the late season in, in growing. And oftentimes put things like tomatoes and peppers that don't really start to grow well until you get warm nights. And if you have a structure and plastic over them, you can actually get them to produce that little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're thinking about now, that structure and, and plastic. Are there other things that you're doing to prepare now, or is this just kind of waiting time? Oh uh, No, we've got um, all of the greens, like lettuce and spinach and corn salad, um, broccoli, cabbage, cilantro. All those things, seeds are in trays right now. They're coming out of the – they're growing. Um, because we'll have those, they'll be a few weeks old before they go outside. Lettuce, lettuce can stand a bit of frost, uh, spinach a bit of cabbages, things that can take a bit of cold where they, they're a bit more cold weather crops. Um, we'll put out a bit earlier than that, take the chance that they're going to be okay. Oh, Last okay. year we did lose our zucchini plants mid, middle to late May when it froze overnight. Unexpected. We we weren't quite ready for it. We thought they were saying mid thirties, and it went down below freezing, and we lost. So we had to replant. <laughs> oh, that was last year. Yes. Yeah. Oh no. I guess you you probably have a lot of unexpected things happen. Yeah, it's farming. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> That's what farmer what farming is. A lot of farming is about is you take a shot at the weather, and every year. Um, Last year, southern Minnesota, I think 50% of the corn area never got planted. Um, so there are a lot of farms that they didn't put anything in, or they planted it and it washed away <laughs> in the floods we had last, last spring. Um, it's, it's a business of, um, yeah, ups and downs. So why wasn't that planted? Was that the 50% of the corn, was that because of the, the um, water? Uh, yeah, it, it got too wet so they couldn't get in or some of it got in early and then got flooded and, and didn't grow. Um, 
yeah, quite large areas. It just it just didn't work out. The farmers couldn't get in to actually put the crops in. Hmm. Quite a number. Quite, yeah, quite a different. And then do, you must know a lot of the people in your area. Um, no, I grew up. I grew up. Well, I grew up about twenty miles from or fifteen miles from here. So I know people fifteen miles from here a lot better than, than right yeah. here. Um, okay. Um, we know you know our immediate neighbors pretty well, getting to know more and more because farmers are friendly, but they're not they're not away from home all that much. They're mostly at home and doing things. We're making friends at the farmers markets. We've got some regular clients. Yeah. Well, let's move into our last break of the day. We'll be back in just a second and we'll finish our talk. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy. I'm here on the show with Jeannie and our two special guests, Rosemary and Mark. Now, let's continue our talk and start to talk about the CSA. Yeah, we'll turn our conversation to CSAs. And again, that's community-supported agriculture. <clears throat> and these are programs where you, as if, if you're not going to be growing your own vegetables, um, you know, we would really highly suggest everybody give that a try. But in the meantime, or maybe if your vegetables didn't turn out or they're not growing so well, or you just actually want more of those, 
we would highly suggest that people look for a CSA in their area. And more and more of these are being offered with people like Mark and Rosemary, who are expert farmers growing organic and sometimes not organic vegetables and sometimes fruits and herbs and other things. And then what you do is buy a share of that. And that just means that you're going to get a delivery. And it's usually once a week where you would, um, that usually don't deliver to your home. It's going to be to a site and you go and pick up your, <coughs> you go and pick up your box or your bag of vegetables or fruits or whatever is included in the CSA. And That's called a share. And so you would pay in advance. Like here we are in April. This would be the time for you to be, or even in March, the time for you to be looking into CSAs and comparing some of them and choosing one that's going to fit for what you're looking for. And that's that's what we're going to just talk about. So um, with Mark and Rosemary, uh, what are different types of CSAs? Like how how are they different? What should somebody look for? The... There's quite actually different levels of um, growing styles. And when you talk about organic, there are certainly quite a number of them that are registered organic, and there are certainly a number of them who grow organically. You cannot use the word organic uh, because it's, I'm not sure if it's registered per se or or what that way, but if you're not um, registered organic, you cannot use that in, in talking about the way you do things. So people talk about growing naturally. So they avoid using pesticides and, and um, inorganic chemicals, uh, herbicides or anything like that, and do more of those things uh, by say, weeds, get rid of weeds that way. So it's why would one farm decide to become certified organic and others not? Well, being certified organic, um, some of it's actually a bit political. Uh, other bits of it is um, it takes a fair bit of bookwork and doing things and recording what you've done. I think it's seven years, five or seven years of recording everything that's gone on to the farm being inorgan- or being organic so that you're creating a record of what's going on and what's on the farm for that period of time. Another of it is, is that you have to have a certain amount of a barrier between yourself and other methods of farming around you. Uh, and so there may be a number of different things like that that would prevent. And another one is that not everybody believes that organic is the way to go. Um, and it's strictly speaking, I'm kind of find kind of find myself in that position. Um, I think taking care of the soil doesn't necessarily involve only organic fertilizers. I think it it involves making sure that you're adding certain amounts of organic matter back to the soil each year, uh, how you till the soil, whether you're uh, continually doing something that will compact the soil and destroy the microorganisms and that that are in the soil. So I think you'll, you'll find different growers will have different philosophies about what they think about, how they think about growing. And so as, as someone looking for a CSA, talk to the people what their philosophies are like. Believe is best for the soil, is best for the, the food and, and things that they're, they're growing so that the, it fits where you're going. And good for the environment around as well. Your farm, perhaps it might influence your neighbor's farms, that kind of thing. And you mean by things floating around in the air and also maybe by going underground through the water? Yes, definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, okay. 
there's certainly a, few, a couple of things. Nitrogen and phosphorus is what comes mostly to mind when you t- uh, talk about things that um, go into the soil and down into the water table. Um, some of the biggest things that way. Now, we've been talking on the radio show for the last five weeks about magnesium, and we haven't ever brought up anything to do with, um, you know, growing or, or magnesium in the soil necessarily. But um, can you tell us anything about magnesium in soil? Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's one of those nutrients that they, they classified it as a ni- micronutrient, but it's not, it's almost large enough quantities to become something that you would have more as a, an in-between. Uh, your major nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, um, calcium, and then the, 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 the micros, all the, most of the metals. But the magnesium is, is kind of in-between there. Most soils, I think you'll find, have enough magnesium out for farming type of businesses. I know in when we were growing organically, or not organically, growing in the greenhouse in a confined area, uh, we had to add every watering, we added a complete nutrient mix that had a very specific amount of each, each of the elements. Um, that's about all I can tell you right offhand. I, I, sheet that often refer, refer to it tells me about what each one does but right off the top of my head I don't remember. So so do you say because um, you said in the greenhouse you had to put the magnesium in there when you're doing the type of farming that you are do you put magnesium in or do you just expect that that's in your organic material that you're adding to the soil? Um, I would expect that the soil's going to have enough of it there. The first year that we actually were here we didn't add anything to it. The The patch of ground that we're using hadn't been used for growing anything other than grass for probably 15 years, 10 years, somewhere in there. And so we, we got rid of the quack. We were quite lucky the first year in that um, we plowed the field, uh, waited for it to dry a certain amount. We rototilled it, waited another about a week and rototilled it again. We did that three times. And instead of having to do any spraying for the, the grass to kill it, it all dried a little bit each time, and the root system, as we rototilled it, came to the top, and it just died. Uh, so we got rid of that. But anyway, the first year, we didn't use anything. Last year, we used only um, turkey manure as our, as our nutrition source, um, and we have not seen any um, nutrient imbalances or uh, shortages. This year... This year, we're get, uh, I'm quite excited about this. We're getting an, an, a registered organic uh, nutrient in or fertilizer coming in that's been made from poultry manure. But it's gone through a, quite a special process. And it's supposed to be very bioactive. And so it's in, improving or importing bioactivity into the soil, the natural biotics that are, should be in the soil to help um, Take nitrogen out of out of the air and put it into the soil to add for the for the crops. Because when you're growing organically, the biggest problem you have is nitrogen. Just getting enough nitrogen into the into the system so that things can grow as well as they can. So you must get a lot of nitrogen in any of that poop, like from the turkeys or from the poultry. Is that true? Yeah, and that's probably more so than most sources of manure. Um, but no matter how much, how it's just 
Yeah, it, it never seems to be kind of enough. Maybe it's because it doesn't hang around very well. Most nitrogen is quite water soluble, so it doesn't doesn't stay there a great deal of time too. So mm-hmm. that's a problem that you have with it. Now, do you know anything about fulvic or humic acid? Um, there, oh yeah. I mean, it, when working with with soils or growing, so oftentimes um, there are these things that you add that you think don't know exactly what it does but you know when i use it it seems to grow better humic acid is kind of one of those things uh if you're um if you don't have enough of it in the soil or if you're adding a bit more of it to your soil you're growing it seems to do that unknown um in in your in your growing well, where we know a little bit about it, really not a whole lot, is that supposedly this fulvic and humic acid, for, like for humans, for us to take that, it helps you to uptake uh, minerals into your cells. Yep. And so it's this, um, like we, we've got a, a little bottle of it here, and it's this black stuff that smells just like soil. And you t- <laughs> but it's, and it's liquid. Um, it tastes good. Well, it doesn't really have too much of a taste. It just kind of tastes like um, like dirt, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like kind of <laughs> like, like watered nothing. down dirt. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> nothing like Vegemite or anything like that. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, maybe that's how it works with the plants, and that it just helps the plants to take up those nutrients better. Who knows? I suspect that's true. That uh, it's it's like using seaweed. Um, I know a guy who was, who was buying seaweed to get a little extra nitrogen, and we calculated it out, and it's just useless that way because it's, it's got a bit in there, but it's not enough. But seaweed has a lot of these bits and pieces of unknown kind of quantities or qualities into there, and so it can be very helpful in that way. Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. So back to this thing about the CSAs, if somebody was interested, what are some of the other things that you had mentioned? You might want to talk to the farmers and see what their philosophy is growing so you really understand a little bit more about what's going into the vegetables. Are there any other kinds of things that you would look for, differences between the different CSAs? What they provide. Because each grower is going to have a slightly different... um, Emphasis. Uh, emphasis or interest or, and it may be some growers just go, that crop doesn't grow well. I've never been able to grow that particular crop and I'm not going to, I don't think, or I don't think it's worth the labor um, or whatever. So you find out what the range of crops are that that person's growing. Some people grow things like raspberries. They'll have a raspberry patch. We don't. We're looking at building or grow, beginning one, but... Um, and some people have more fruit involved in it. To it, some people are tied up with somebody who raises chickens organically, say, um, and so that you can find any number of things that can be tied into it. Uh, not necessarily only from the one individual, but um, that you that will work into what you're what you're getting. Mm. And so some of them, they, it's, and maybe even eggs, they might have. Oh yes. Yep. Yes. Or herbs. Other. Yep. Yes. We're, we're looking at growing more and more herbs. Rosemary likes working with herbs in it, and so we're looking at uh, adding a few more to those. Minnesota's kind of hard because in, in Australia we have a rosemary bush and a bay leaf bush and, um, just outside our back door. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they grow year-round and quite happily, but here they don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
So it's but, different. Yeah. Last year we did quite a bit of basil, and I think we're going to probably grow a bit more of that this year. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Now, you, now, we only have a very short amount of time left, but I'm wondering a little bit about the hydroponics or aquaponics. Mark, you have experience with that. Is that right? Uh, aquapon- okay, hydroponics, yes. Ha- hydroponics just basically you don't really use any soil and you provide all the nutrient and the liquid. Aquaponics is more using fish as part of your growing cycle so that ah. you're feeding the fish and using the nutrients the fish put back into the water to help feed your plants. Ah. Well, thank you, Rosemary and Mark, for being on the show today. We really enjoyed having you here. It's time for us to wrap up. So all of you listeners, we hope that you're getting a lot of benefits from listening to this radio show. Email us with your comments or your questions. Talk to us when you see us in the studio. And I'm Lucy, along with Jeannie, Rosemary, and Mark, and that's our show. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Join Jeannie, Lucy, and Madeline for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.